It's time for my favorite half hour of the week. Of course, I'm talking about the Auto Guide Show. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and I'm flanked by two special Auto Guide editors. So say hello to Sebastian Bello. And I've also got the beast from the Mideast on the line right now. That's <laughs> Craig Cole. Say hi, Craig. How you doing, guys? Good we're, to see you again. We're doing very well. Now, in case this is the first time you've seen the Auto Guide show, this is our half-hour program that happens every Friday, where we talk to you about all the latest happenings in Auto Guide land. You can catch this show on YouTube, as well as your favorite podcast client, including Apple iTunes and Google Play Music and Marketplace and Google Play Podcasts. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the other, you know, Marketplace you can find, Auto Guide. S Sammy, show. there's the Zune Marketplace. Everyone knows about Zune. I thought Duh. that had, I thought that had like, you know, like there's a, there's a little resurgence going on with the Zune Marketplace, and I think we're right on the top of that. We're going <laughs> to crest that wave, Sammy. You it's wait. the hipster you wave. Just wait. It's coming back, folks. Yeah. What's old is new again. <laughs> so every week we start our podcast with a question from the audience and this week we have a very unique one from somebody named Clint Hayes. He says, and I quote, with Ford canceling production of their sedans in the US, what future do you see for Lincoln sedans? I'm curious to see if Lincoln will also become an SUV slash crossover exclusive brand. My fear is if they continue building sedans, they'll be offering the same designs 10 years from now since they'll no longer have Ford platforms to base them on. Okay, that's quite the question. It's a reasonable very fear. Very interesting. And you don't hear of questions from Lincoln very often. Yeah. So I'm intrigued. So, I mean, let's just start off. There's not very many Lincoln sedans to miss if they do go away, right? Yeah. Like two, right? Yeah, the MTZ and the Continental which yeah. is not a big list. And the Continental, they keep saying, it's going to have suicide doors, it's not going to have suicide doors, it's going to have suicide doors, it's not going to have suicide doors, it's going away for good, it's back. <laughs> Lincoln doesn't seem to know. But we did have, we found a report from April, so take that with a grain of salt, uh, saying that Lincoln was dedicated to sedans. They weren't going to give up on sedans, they weren't going to give up on the MTZ or the Continental. So maybe not. <laughs> I don't well, know. We'll have to see, but like, I think that the the key here is, it's not necessarily Lincoln can still offer sedans if Ford doesn't, because Ford has a brand new flexible architecture, right? Right. That supposedly supports front drive, rear drive, all-wheel drive in any combination, right? So that really gives them the flexibility to offer a broad range of vehicles, um, and maybe service some smaller, you know, niches in the market sedans, for instance, at Lincoln. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that in the next couple years. I love that we're calling sedans a small segment when they're still right? selling, like, like muscle models are still selling 300, just because they're not as popular as they used to be. Yeah. Um, it's that new platform, I believe it's going to be underpinning the Aviator. Um, yes. That's going to be the first car with that platform. And I've heard reports that it's going to be the, the Aviator, the Explorer, and maybe even a new, ah, this must be weird. I think I've heard it being rumored for a Mustang, and that's, that's another, that's how flexible this platform could be. I think it's a lot like they've taken the learnings that like Volkswagen had with the MQB architecture, which isn't, the way I understand it, not necessarily an architecture, but a set of 
fixed dimensions, right? Sebastian, so, you cover the V-dub a lot. Yeah, so the distance. Maybe you can elaborate. Basically, the distance between the front wheels and the stern and the firewall is constant okay. in all their vehicles. And then everything after that can change. So you can do anything from a Polo to an Atlas, <laughs> and which is a huge range of things. Because basically, as long as, as you design the Atlas to be stiff enough, it you know it won't fall apart. Hopefully, uh, so yeah. So I mean, and there, when that came out, there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of people talking about how like, oh, well, if there's one flaw in the system, then all their cars go away. But so far. It seems to be working out pretty well for them. I mean, mm -hmm. the chassis is fine. Other yeah. parts of the car are not so much. <laughs> yeah, are you know, illegal or whatever. But you know, that's small stuff. So yeah, I mean, it, and it makes sense because Ford will continue to be a global brand. So if China mm -hmm. still wants big, huge SUVs and they still want Lincolns, then Ford may continue to build those in China, and then it might make sense to import a couple of, you know, a Continental or an MKZ to America. Or and I think like with the luxury brands too, I think the buyers tend to be more conservative and more conservative buyers would probably uh, want or expect a sedan from right. a brand like Lincoln. So I think there's probably still market for, you know, maybe two sedans like they've got now, the larger Continental, the smaller MKZ, which maybe they're going to rename Zephyr again. What do you guys think about that? Remember when the car came out years ago? They called it Zephyr. <laughs> I think that's a poor idea. I think Zephyr didn't really have, didn't really grab the market. It didn't doesn't have a brand of success. I mean, Continental. That's a name that's gone way back, and people recognize that name. I love that name, in fact. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually don't think the Aviator nameplate was tainted. I love the way that they've they've really retained the Navigator uh, nameplate, mm -hmm. and now they've got the Nautilus and um, Core. Corsair, Corsair, right? Corsair. It's rumored to be or something. Here's the thing yeah. about Zephyr, though, is you said that the other names weren't tainted. I don't think Zephyr is either because nobody remembers that. <laughs> That's true. So no, it you mean that came out in 1936, I think, was yeah. the first Zephyr. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, but the other idea is that like those sedans, the Continental and the MKZ that are currently on market, they don't really have, I don't know if they have a grabbing, you know, attention-getting feature that makes them worth really mentioning and bringing up again and again, what do we want to see in a next generation vehicle of these two ones? Even the MKZ is, is little, it's getting there. It's getting a little old. They added a new engine oh, yeah. that has uh, like 400 horsepower, and that's pretty nice, but that's just one aspect of the whole car. Like what else could, could Lincoln be doing for their cars um, in a next generation product? So that's I have an question. idea. So, this is my same, you're gonna, you know, devotees of the podcast will recognize this product plan. And it will actually wrap into the next topic too. I think that Lincoln, like Cadillac, shouldn't be bothering with cheap cars. I think enormous jobs of power, huge swaths of leather, $100,000 price tag, nothing less. Okay. I'm sick of seeing luxury cars, American luxury cars that are like 30 grand that mm -hmm. aren't really luxury cars and are just Ford's foci that have been that have had some chrome, some plastic chrome put over them. It's exactly what the Germans do. You can get a $35,000 CLA, right? Yeah. But just because it has a Mercedes logo on it doesn't mean it's really any nicer than a $35,000 Accord, right? And those are I mean, just taxis. spending the same amount. Yeah. They can't magically make the car 15 grand nicer, right? Right, right. Um, you know what, Sebastian, you're going to like some of the conversation we're having later on in the podcast. But I will. But for now, I think we're going to put this Lincoln Cars discussion 
um, to rest. So thank you, Clint Hayes, for the question. If our listeners have, and watchers, have any questions, be sure to email us at tips at autoguide.com. And, or, you can leave a comment on the YouTube uh, video, just down there or something. Um, this week, we actually have another Lincoln to talk about, the Big Daddy Lincoln. Craig, you drove this because you are a Mac Daddy. And uh, talk to me about this Lincoln Navigator Black label you drove. Yeah, I, it was legit nice. Like, no, there, when I drove it, the thing that came to, kept coming to mind was there were no qualifiers. Like, if only they'd done this, or but other cars have that, right? Right. There, there, none of that crossed my mind when I was driving this vehicle. It was very competent. It was, you know, as quick as you would ever expect a three-ton vehicle to be. Uh, it was quiet. It was smooth. The interior, especially with the uh, the upgraded cabin, the black label interior, was exceptionally well done. The 30-way adjustable seats, which of course are optional, but super nice, really comfortable, and just a really, it, it feels like they finally care, right? Like they sweated the small details with the new Navigator, and it's a really nice product. I recommend it. I, I need to talk a little bit more about just how good this, this Navigator is. A lot of people just think the Navigator competes solely with the Cadillac Escalade. That's not true. It competes with the Infinity MK, I mean, sorry, the Infinity, what's it called? QX80. QX80? Oh, man, I'm terrible with the nomenclature still to these days. QX80, you're right. The uh, Land Cruiser, uh, the Lexus Land Cruiser equivalent, it's called the LX. 570. 570. <laughs> um, yeah. See, we, we don't know. We don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> we've got Mercedes GLEs even in this picture as well. And I actually think that this Navigator is not just a niche vehicle. It's just like, oh, American SUVs are back. It's fantastic. It's so much better than the rest of the segment in terms of what yes. they, they brought. And that's a huge jump to take from where they were before. Yeah. And if you read the review, Sam, well, you probably did because you edited it, right? <laughs> At least I hope you checked it for spelling errors and factual mistakes. But um, the, the new Navigator's been huge for Lincoln. It's pushed their average transaction price. It's increased it by like thirty thousand dollars. So that's the that's the profit they're making on each vehicle. Thirty grand Holy they're making moly. on each Navigator, more than the previous version. Um, something like fifty percent of new Navigator buyers are brand new to the Lincoln brand. So they're bringing in those Mercedes-Benz. They're bringing in those Land Rover customers. Right. A lot of Conquest sales. So right. this is like huge for Lincoln, which has really, obviously, we all know, been struggling for a number of years. I feel like they finally sort of gotten their map and directions. They know which way they're heading. But the Navigator is like, I think it'll be the transformative product and sort of a new chapter for Lincoln. So it's almost like charging a whole bunch for these things and making them real luxury cars is a good idea. I don't know what brilliant person could have suggested that, but you know, I think it's good. I think it's, it's a, it does look really good too, for, uh, to be fair. From the outside, yeah. I think that it, it is a pretty car. And then even on the interior, like that Venetian leather is, you know, it's not Corinthian leather, but it looks pretty nice. I mean, this it's, is, there's a couple of things to discuss though. Like, what is it that made this thing just so good? You said they didn't sweat the details, but I think there's something really magical under the hood of these car of this car, and it's that 3.5 liter 
Uh, high the output. heart of a raptor. The heart <laughs> of a raptor. That's right. Can you tell me what this, what it's like to drive this? Like, how many tons is this thing? It's huge. It's, it's with the the regular because you can get the standard navigator or the L. The L is like I forget a 12, 11 inches longer, 11.9 inches longer, something like that. Uh, basically, it's just shy of three tons of 6,000 pounds. But that wow. 3.5 liter EcoBoost V6, it's the next generation of that engine that we've loved for a number of years now. 450 horsepower, 510 torque, and Whoa. it's matched to a 10-speed automatic. So you can imagine the vehicle moves quite well. Right. It's not the fastest car I've ever driven, but you're never, ever lacking for passing power or performance. I mean, it scoots. And of course, with 10 gears, it's always in the power band, right? There, I mean, it's never flat-footed. That's cool, too, because it seems like uh, traditionally this type of car would have had a V8, but it seems to make a lot more sense to have that V6 because you don't want to hear it anyway, so it doesn't matter what it sounds like. And it's yeah. got 510 pound-feet of torque. Which is plenty. Yep. Which yeah. is huge. Well, I mean, I know we live in a weird era, but it's still huge. And it's like, yeah, and the ten, that 10-speed 10 is a great transmission. It seems to be, yeah, that does seem to be a really, really great package. So and then there's and then there's this there's this whole other element. They have like these extra drive modes with very curious names. Craig, can you can you remember some of the names for the drive modes? Yeah, there's like um, so there's a knob on the center console, and I think there are seven drive modes. And what <laughs> they've done, they just wanted to right? simplify it, right? Yeah. A lot of luxury cars, you get in, you can tweak, you can dive into the settings, tweak the transmission shift points, or the dampers, or all these other things you can go in and fine tune whatever you want. Lincoln didn't, they didn't want that complexity. So they have one knob and seven different settings. So you've got like normal, of course, which is just for everyday usability. There's excite, which is sort of like the sport mode, which livens up the throttle response and stiffens the dampers a bit. Then they've got other ones like snow and ice or uh, snow ice mud which will work obviously in difficult conditions. They have another one called Deep Conditions. Deep Conditions. Uh, which is like four-wheel low, right, <laughs> for really serious stuff. That was the name but of But they just added poetry. the knobs, so you just turn it, and you pick the mode you need. And there's, in the instrument cluster, of course, it's all digital. It brings up this very elegant, like, animation, kind of, as you switch between the modes, which looks cool. Right. It's another little detail that it shows they cared, you know? You, you mentioned that they they've tried to simplify some things. Now I need to be blunt with you. I've been in a bunch of I need to be in a, I've been in a bunch of Lincoln products with these thirty or forty way adjustable seats that couldn't be more complicated. There's no way to find just how perfectly comfortable you are in this thing unless you have like hours to spend being like, oh yes, this adjustment is better than this. It's like it should be like a bunch of presets and you should figure out and then just tweak it from there. I think that would be a great a greater way of doing it. I don't, but the question, like the 30 way seats, that's a lot of adjustability, yeah. obviously. You can adjust <laughs> so there's, one I don't think there's any way around it. It's just, it's got, it's got to take time to fine tune it. Which, <laughs> when you get it right, you spend the not hours, Sammy. It's like five minutes. No. You just poke around a little bit. You can get it set up, and you'll be, you, you set it to the memory button. Then, right, you press and hold, and it maps it to that key, so you can jump back to it any time, but. Yeah, How much that's, that's one of the standout things too. The perfect position seats, I think, because they've kind of they're kind of hanging their hat on that, right? They've offered it in the Continental. They've got it in the Navigator now, mm -hmm. and comfort, quiet, smoothness. That's luxury to. 
to me and I'm sure a lot of other people too. And that's kind of what Lincoln's focusing on, right? They're not chasing Nürburgring lap times. <laughs> they don't need to, nor should they. But then luxury is also about the materials, the, the, the quality of the vehicle inside. And I need to know if this thing feels at all like a, like a standard Ford in any way or form. Is there anything that you think you touched, you looked at that said, I've seen that before um, and, and, and boo on you, Lincoln, for, for trying to hide it um, in this Lincoln? There, there are a couple of things that are obviously borrowed from Ford, uh, like the, the, it was equipped with the Pro Trailer Backup Assist, oh, yes. which has that little knob. The knob feels like it cost $1,000. It's like a piece of jewelry or something. But still, it's from Ford. Uh, the, the button for the adjustable pedals also is from Ford. The window switches, I'm pretty sure, are from Ford. But nothing, I mean, that's unavoidable. You see the same thing in, in like, a GLA as you would in an S-Class, right? Right. Some of the same switch gear. Um, and nothing feels egregiously cheap or, or flimsy. I, I particularly liked the, the push-button shifter, actually. It kind of reminds me of an old tape deck, tape player, because the way the buttons run along uh, the bottom of the center stack underneath the air vents. Kind of an interesting touch. That is cool. How much did this car cost again? Something just shy of 96 grand, I think. Whoa. So it ain't cheap. No. <laughs> Uh, and you'd take it, but you would take it over any of its rivals. Um, I'd, I'd have to drive them all back to back, but this is definitely a strong candidate. Absolutely, it, it like I said in my review, it's a Lincoln that feels worth the price, nice. right? And I don't know that I could say that about the Continental. The Continental's a good car, but it's not a great car, right? Yeah. There's some areas that could be improved. I think the the Navigator really does verge on great. Cool. Yeah. Uh, any questions? No, that's no. good. That's good. Anything Sammy, else? you've driven the Navi, right? Have you, Sebastian? I have not. Uh, I also not. recently drove the Expedition, which is very close. The Expedition Max, which is very close to the Navigator, and I, I could tell that there's some things that the the Expedition could have improved upon, and I think they really did in the Navigator. They feel like distinctly different products, and I think that's really yeah. important. Yeah. Um, but I would, I would love to talk more about that car, but uh, I think we're going to bore some of our audience by talking about nothing but <laughs> well, ginormous. You, you've driven something much more exciting, arguably, in a, in a very exotic locale, no less. I'm not sure if it's all too much more exciting. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the 2019 Porsche Panamera GTS, which I, which I flew all the way to uh, Bahrain to drive. And it was the first time I've ever Gesundheit. driven on a current F1 circuit. Uh, to test drive this car's uh, handling and performance capabilities. And we also drove it all around the uh, country. And uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting vehicle. I want you to th think of it this way. You have this Porsche Panamera 4S, which makes 440 horsepower. Mm -hmm. And then you have this Porsche Panamera Turbo, which makes 550 horsepower. And between the two of them is a $40,000 gap. And Porsche looked at that and said, well, we put that there no, like on purpose so that we can put the GTS right in between those two cars. And this car is $20,000 cheaper than one and, and $20,000 more expensive than the other. And it's a, very, it's a very logical thing for them to have done. But did they need yet another version of the Panamera? Aren't there like 12 or 16 models already? I mean, that depends if you want to include the, the, the wagon, the Sport Turismo, which this um, GTS is also available uh, as, as well. There is so many versions of the Panamera. Yeah. But the, qu the question I think is, is the, pa the, the true Porsche, I think, representation in the Panamera models 
is on that higher end scale, that Turbo um, and, and that Turbo S. I think the GTS is, is just as fun to drive as those turbos without needing 550 horsepower to do so. It has all of the handling technology that those vehicles have with a slightly less powerful engine. Do you notice that? Is there like, you were on an F1 track, so, and with a really long straight on it too. Did you run yeah. out of puff at some point or? No, no, it kept pulling, man. It was, uh, it was really hauling uh, on those two straights. Um, but of course, this is a 4,400-pound car. The problem isn't getting up to speed. It's coming back down to, to a, a, a limit in which you can probably turn without scaring yourself. Uh, fortunately, this car had those carbon ceramic uh, coated brakes. They are wonderful. They kept going, um, although I did see uh, Porsche taking a couple of cars out to the back to, to, Just to you quietly. Know. Yes. Behind the barn, they shot them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but another element of this car is its all-wheel drive system, which is extremely um, competent. It's very good, and in some cases can send up to 70% of the power to the front wheels. Sometimes in like wow. in corner exit, it will actually start pulling the car through the corner, which is very um, opposite what we're used to. I it's think. not what you're used to, yeah. You're used to a car that dumps all the power to the back because right. you want oversteer, but really pulling yourself out of a corner. Front-wheel drive is really good at that, so... So, I mean, this car has it's some really, really impressive, like, torque vectoring to tuck your nose in to that, into that corner. So you don't need to worry about using the throttle to steer it that way. And then it can just pull you right out. Which I imagine is nice with a car that weighs 40, whatever, 4,400 pounds it's or whatever insane. it is. It's insane, yes. Um, it's 4,400 pounds? 4,400 pounds. It's almost as a navigator. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Isn't that wild? Um, it's worth mentioning, it's got uh, 15, actually no, sorry, 13 more horsepower than the 4S, so it's not a huge upgrade in that department, so it has 453 um, horsepower. It's paired to a dual-clutch transmission, Porsches make some of the best dual-clutch transmissions on the market, mm. it was Double flawless. <laughs> yes, PDK. It was flawless. Um, and uh, 0 to 60 happens in 3.9 seconds, which is plenty Ooh. fast. That is, yeah, that That's is. crazy. Surprising. The problem, I think, is, as I mentioned, that price point is so, like, logically defined, it just doesn't, it just doesn't skew one way to the, or to the other. So it costs 20 grand more for 13 horsepower? Yes. Uh, but you get all of the handling, the, the handling equipment from the, from the, the turbos. The turbos. So you get um, four-wheel steering, you get air suspension, you get this uh, torque vectoring, you get this unbelievably cool three-piece spoiler that, that not only like rises, but it also like expands like this. And it's super cool to see that in your rear view mirror. It's like... So hold on, hold on. The spoiler pops up like a normal one does, but then it splits in half and like yeah. goes out to the left and right? Yeah! How? It, it has an extra centerpiece as well, so it just like folds. It's very, it's very... It's like origami or something. It really is. It's like a transformer. I love watching this thing in action. It was like, ah, look at it go! <laughs> like every time. Um, another element of this car is this uh, sport response button. I'm not sure if you guys have experienced this before. Sport response, does that mean that a Porsche driver comes and comes and rushes towards you? He's like, hold on, we got a problem! Yeah, no. Okay. Um, there's a little dial on the steering wheel. Uh, with a button in the middle of it, you press this and it dials everything up to 11 for 20 seconds. Think of it as like a push to pass feature. Okay. It would just because you don't have enough power. I exactly. Mean. It's yeah. a bit of a gimmick, 
Um, I can imagine being kind of fun on the on the street, but on the track it was completely useless. We can just keep that car in its in its harshest setting all the way through. So I guess you're stuck behind a whatever a slow moving Chevrolet or something, and then you hit the push the push to pass, and then you get whatever, and you can go past them and and then just chill out, barreling down the road. <laughs> yeah, break the speed limit. And yeah, then come back and then down come back to... down and be a reasonable, <laughs> solid citizen. Yeah, that seems odd. Um, it's like the warp drive button. Engage. Engage. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I found myself saying that a couple of times. T. Earl Grey, hot. I wanted to, to mention, though, it is, to me, like, this is the, the right way a Panamera should be built. I think the GTS models are always this enthusiast-friendly version, which is fun to drive without being the excess that is the Turbo and the Turbo S models that Porsches have. I, I don't know if you guys have had any experience with, with the Porsche... GTS models before, but I think that's always the case. I've driven a Macan GTS a and couple times. Tons of fun. It's it's sporty plus, but not the crazy turbo turbo or turbo S version, right? It's a nice balance. Right. Um, One hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars for the for the regular version of the Panamera GTS, and then it's an extra about seven thousand dollars for the. Um, Sport Turismo Wagon. The Sport Turismo Wagon does not have the cool spoiler, so I would go with the regular uh, Panamera. 100% because of that. <laughs> yes. Um, and which, which Panamera model would you get, Sammy? Would GTS be your preferred model in the 16 or however many Panamera variants there are? Which one, if you had money to spend on one, would you get the GTS or a different one? I think the GTS is the perfect fit. It looks great. It, uh, it, it has exactly the kind of enthusiast-friendly um, driving dynamics that I want. And it's not, it doesn't, I don't need 550 horsepower. I'm not going to take my 4,400-pound car on a track to, to set lap records. Do you think anybody's going to look at the less power, though, and be like, yeah, that's reasonable? I mean, I know that it's, Intellectually, it's the right decision, and like when you're behind the wheel of all three. But when you go to the dealership and there's a dealer looking at you, telling you, "Well, you can get this one, which has 453 horsepower if you are a certain way, yeah. or you can get the full-on whatever 500 horsepower one." Like, yeah, that seems to be too tempting for a lot of people. It's an extra twenty thousand dollars. So I mean, yeah, fair the, enough. The, the, the point. I think the question is, what kind of Porsche buyer are you? Are you the person who goes into a dealership and says, "I want the most badass." <clears throat> vehicle you, I can get, and that's going to be the turbo. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now, Sebastian, before we finish up the uh, podcast, I want to talk to you about where you've been and what you've been driving. Ha-ha, I've been driving not this final edition, because this is a new Beetle final edition, but I've been driving the Beetle final edition, because it is, we're saying goodbye to the Beetle. And unless I'm, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that this is the first time since 1946 that something, well, 2020 will be, that nothing called the Beetle is produced around the world, which is kind of, you know, that's still kind of sad and a little bit of a, of a thing to say goodbye. But so Volkswagen is not selling that many Beetles and the ID Buzz is there to pick up the mantle of sort of retro chic kind of Volkswagen. And there can only be one retro. And there can only be one. It's like <laughs> Outlanders, yeah. The, you, you, they, Highlander. Highlanders, sorry. I apologize. Um, Who am I working with, Outlander? <laughs> Outlander. It's a different Scottish show. Okay, I apologize. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, not Sean Connery. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was uh, basically just a regular beetle, but it comes in blue or beige, and that's a callback to the 2003 final edition, which was the last time that uh, Mexico produced the air-cooled beetle because they just chipped right on producing them. They were like, Volkswagen said goodbye. Emissions, who cares? Yeah. <coughs> yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, yeah, it was cool. And we were there for Day of the Dead, so we had a big parade. And well, We weren't in the parade, but we saw a big parade of people with face painting and stuff. And they had a bunch of marigolds laying, going up to the beetle because it was dying. And uh, as I said, it's basically a beetle. So if you're looking to get a beetle in 2019, you can get that. You can also get the S or the SE model in regular. Uh, the, they come with a little bit less trim, and they have fewer touches but they are offered in habanero orange and tornado red. So if you really want orange or red, then you have to go for a regular one. But on this one, you get a cute little sign and the spoke to the steering wheel, and you get quilted leatherette seats, I'm going to call oh, them. Oh, cool. Um, you had me at quilted. Where do I get one? <laughs> well, Is that quilted absorbent by chance? <laughs> Yes, it's double absorbent for you. Oh, and on the lower cushion, we're talking. <laughs> yeah, that's what specifically. We're Sometimes yeah. I need that. Yeah, um, it's kind of weird to hear that the Beetle's going away. To me, the Beetle is a very special car, and I think a lot of people's automotive experience has started with a Beetle in some point in their lives. And I think that's a very that's a very important um, an important memory that people will have. And to hear the Beetle no longer being mentioned in the lineup of, of uh, Volkswagen products, it's a bit of a shame. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a little sad, but, you know, uh, all good things must come to an end. And the new Beetle and the whatever A5 Beetle that we have now, they've sort of been, you know, you see fewer of them. I think that the most recent Beetle kind of doesn't look that special. It looks more like the original Beetle, but I also think it looks more regular, too. Like, I, it's a little more anonymous, and I think people just haven't been buying them as much. They haven't been bought up by enthusiasts as much. Hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's fading away. It's going out with a whimper, but, you know, bangs hurt. Well, now they have an opportunity to introduce a new, new, new Beetle? What yes. Well, a lot of people In have suspected years. that the ID, because it's rear engine, because it's electric instead of funky thing, it would be the perfect uh, platform for a uh, new, 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 new Beetle. But uh, Volkswagen has so far said no. They don't want to do it. They don't want a new, 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 new Beetle because Germans can't handle that many news. So it's bad news, I guess. Ayo. <laughs> so yeah. So it seems to be pretty dead for now, which is you know sad, but. Are you going to miss it? Yeah, of course I'm going to miss it. I think it's time, though. I think it's, I'm okay with it. I think I've had my time to say goodbye. I've had my, you know, 20 years to look at it and be like, yeah, you know what? Let's take you up behind the barn with the Panamera's GTS. And <laughs> let's, Don't let's, you own a Beetle, Sebastian? I do own a Beetle. And yeah, he doesn't care. He wants to see this whole thing. Actually, he's probably thinking it's gonna, his car is going to go up in value That's as right. a result of this. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the flower vase models are going to go up in value. I'm mm -hmm. sorry. <laughs> you have one with the little... Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I lost okay. the flowers recently because <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely sad about that. They're gone now. But... That car was just designed with like a coffee mug. They just put it on the sketch pad and drew some semicircles. 
Yeah. There we go. That's the profile. Yeah, Ship three it. circles. It's like Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Mickey Mouse is three circles. The new beetle is three circles. What and it looks the same from every angle. So. What about you, Craig? Are you going to miss the beetle? Uh, I'm kind of indifferent. I, I love the idea of beetle, right? right? Because the original beetle, what was it? It was an affordable, very inexpensive, mass-produced car designed to get a whole population of folks on wheels. We're not going to dabble in the Nazi Hitler Porsche yeah, <laughs> side of things, but it was a mass, it was like a European Model T or something, right? right? It was designed to be rugged, affordable, serviceable, um, and all these great things. And with the new, would it be new, new Beetle? Would you consider the sort of flattened roof one new, new Beetle, or one? just new Beetle still? So it was technically called the Beetle. Okay, we'll just say the Beetle then. With that, the, the version that's going out of production, it was no longer that basic, super affordable car, right? Mm -hmm. It was just, it became just another compact model, right? You're going to cross shop a Civic maybe or a Corolla. And part of the charm of the original Beetle was its affordability, its simplicity. I mean, it's totally strayed from that, right? Right. Well, one of the and problems too is that it was based on the platform of the car that killed it. Like the Golf is the car that made Volkswagen be like, oh, well, we don't have to produce this car from the 30s anymore. Yeah. We now have a water-cooled vehicle that we can make, and it's kind of weird. And if you want a compact two-door Volkswagen, what's left? Nothing. There's no more Golfs. Well, Golf is four-door exclusively oh. in America. Mm. What about, well, po well, yeah, there's no polo in America either, No polo right? in America, no up in America, which... Scirocco. Yeah, bring that America. Yeah, get a TT. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. And, and that also means that it's the last convertible uh, that Volkswagen is offering uh -huh. until they bring the T, well, until they, the T-Cross convertible. T-Cross or T-Rock? I can't remember. Anyway, one of those two new SUVs will come as a convertible, so that'll be the only convertible Volkswagen in the world, but I don't think we're going to get it. So. Well, they're going to have the Phaeton convertible coming back, right? Oh, yes, of course. Oh, I, nice. I apologize. The Phaeton convertible. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> All right. But it's reborn as a crossover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just a Bentley Bentayga, really. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, I think that's it for this week's podcast, and uh, it's been a doozy, man. It's been a quick one. I think time goes by really fast when you only have 30 minutes to talk cars with uh, my two friends here. Uh, thank you to Craig for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and talk to us, and thank you, Sebastian Bell, for telling us all about your adventures in Mexico, and thank you, our audience, for listening and or watching this podcast. I recommend that if you want to see more of these, you subscribe. You either hit that subscribe button right below this video, or you go on your favorite podcast client, including Apple iTunes, Google Play Music, and we're hoping we're on the Zoom Marketplace by now. <laughs> if you, you have you a question... You did that just to humor me, Sammy. Yeah, Thank of you. <clears throat> if you have a question, feel free to send it to us, tips at autoguide.com, or leave a comment below. And we'll be sure to check it out. And if it's a good question, and I'm sure it is, although we've had some really weird ones. I'm not so sure. Um, we'll read it out loud on the podcast and answer it. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>